0: Everybody on the outside is talking. We're approaching it the way we do every single week. This, this, is, this is a really important game. Why? Because of how we've handled the previous six. It's a big game, that's for sure, and a game that Penn State has not fared well in in the James Franklin era. I'm Greg McElroy. Welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, October 18th. We hope that you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show. And we appreciate you coming to us from wherever you're coming to us from. Well, that's the podcast platforms. whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get the podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. We read those, we see those, and we appreciate you for going the extra mile to make us feel like you guys are appreciating the content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. If you're on the ESPN YouTube channel, Hit that thumbs up video right below. That'd be awesome. We really appreciate it. And you can subscribe to the ESPN College Football YouTube channel as well. Typical Wednesday here as we get you ready for week eight of the college football season. We're going to do some superlatives. Biggest surprises. Teams that have the biggest question marks. Teams that have the most to prove. I'm going to tell you the top four teams right now, and we're going to do our college football playoff eliminator, which we've done every single week for the last handful of weeks. We are getting a little bit thinner when it comes to the college football playoff-worthy teams. That list started at about 38, 39 teams. Now we're down to 16. 16 teams that I believe have what it takes to potentially punch their ticket to the dance. So let's not waste any time. Let's get things kicked off with the college football playoff eliminator right now on Always College Football. College football playoff eliminator. We are back at it again. It's the week eight edition, and things are starting to give us a little bit more clarity. It's been a little bit tricky. We started this process two or three weeks ago, and we had 38, 39 teams or so in our eliminator. Now we're down to 16 teams, which is pretty remarkable. We actually have some teams that are playing for their playoff life at the moment. We have kind of grouped them accordingly. If you haven't seen the show before, we don't do tiers- We don't do an order of rankings and things like that. We purely group teams up by what their upside is and what their resume is. And there's some teams that can't control their resume. It's not their fault. For instance, Michigan, it's not their fault that everyone they've played up to this point doesn't have a pulse. So we just try to group them accordingly. These are the teams that are still very much in the playoff mix. These are teams that have done an awful lot with a great win. These teams have passed a test. These teams have an elite win. These teams are one loss teams that have the horses to make the run. Those are all under consideration, so we group them accordingly. Group one, that's what we qualify as the locks for the playoffs. Last week, we had one team in this group. That was the Georgia Bulldogs. This week, there are zero teams in that group. Georgia went from one to two to one, back to two, because with the injury to Brock Bowers, I do have legitimate question marks about what Georgia is going to look like. I think he is the one player in college football that is completely irreplaceable. Now, you can make the case for Caleb Williams. You can make the case for other quarterbacks, but position players, Brock Bowers is one of one. Are there other great wide receivers out there across the country? Of course. Are there other great tight ends out there across the country? For sure. But this guy is not just a tight end. He's not just a receiver. He also gets the ball handed to him where he averages about 10 yards a carry. So he is one of one. He's a complete matchup nightmare. So him being absent is going to alter how I perceive what Georgia can ultimately be offensively. I'm going to drop them out of group one because I do not think they're locked for the playoffs at the moment. Group two, however, has widened drastically. Last week, there, were only one, there was only one team in group two. That was a team that looks fantastic and has a really, really good win. One team there last week, it was Oklahoma. They are holding steady. Of course, the Texas win, still a really, really good win. That's why they are still entrenched here in group number two. But I've added four other teams to group two. Georgia drops from group one to group two. I think they have a really good win. I think the Kentucky win, even though they're five and two, is still a pretty good win. Granted, it was more the way they looked against Kentucky. It was so convincing to the point in which it was just a complete beatdown there in the second half of that football game. They came out and just lit it on fire from the very beginning. So while I actually think when you look at Georgia's schedule, it strengthens drastically down the stretch. There are some teams that I didn't anticipate being this good this point of the season, like a Missouri, like a Tennessee, like an Ole Miss. There are some teams that we weren't sure about, and Georgia plays all three of those here in the next few weeks after a game with Florida after the bye week. So Georgia's in group two at the moment. Washington has now moved up from group three into group two with a win against Oregon. You can make a case it's one of the best two wins of the college football season. Now, depending on how you rank both Oregon and Texas, of course, Oklahoma beat Texas. Washington beat Oregon. Oklahoma did so in a neutral site. Washington did so at home. How do you stack them up? That's up to you. I think right now, Oregon would probably beat Texas. It's just a personal opinion. I would have Oregon just slightly ahead of Texas. But if you have Texas slightly ahead of Oregon, I don't have a problem with that. Either way, Washington has one of the worst, one of the best teams has beaten one of the best teams in the country, and that's why they are firmly in group number two. Ohio State is back into group number two. They were in group number three last week because the Notre Dame win that they had wasn't looking so good. Notre Dame, frankly, after the loss to Louisville, I was wondering, man, are the wheels going to come off just a little bit? Well, Notre Dame righted the ship a little bit. And Ohio State is back in Group 2 as a result because that is a really, really good win. And then Florida State is back into Group 2 as well. That LSU win is back to being a really good win. Not that dissimilar to Notre Dame. There was a point when LSU had two losses and they couldn't defend. Their defense looked awful. Well, now LSU is rounding into form. Looked a little better defensively against Auburn. And, of course, the offense continues to deliver juggernaut-type numbers. So Florida State is in Group Number 2 as well. That's five teams in group number two. At group number three, these are teams that look great and have passed at least one test. Last week, we had six teams in this group. We've removed three from this group, Washington, Ohio State, and Florida State. They all moved up to group number two. We also took Louisville out of this group. So they had six teams in group three last week. Now we're down to two. Penn State. Obviously a huge opportunity for them this weekend. They'll play against Ohio State on the road. If they get that win, they'll naturally move up into group number two, and then Ohio State will move into the one-loss category alongside several other teams. Another team that I actually added this week to group three is North Carolina. They were in group four. That was a team that looked great and hadn't played anyone. Well, I believe that Miami is someone. Miami If you want to look at the Georgia Tech game, there was about a 1,000 ways that game could have gone. Miami probably wins 998 of them. So I still view Miami as a pretty good team and a pretty good win for North Carolina, doing so by double digits, and they've beaten five power five teams by double digits. Now, North Carolina is into group number three as one of the top seven teams if you want to group them up just like that. In group number four, these are teams that look great. They have the horses, but they haven't played anyone. Last week, it was two. North Carolina was in this group last week. They move up to group number three. But now in group number four is Michigan. Michigan continues to dominate everybody. They've passed the eye test for sure, but against who? I'll explain why in just a little bit. I think they're one of the top four teams in America. I think you make a strong argument that they're number one with just how dominant they've been. Their game control metric has actually been terrific, but it's been against absolutely nobody. We'll explain again here in just a little bit. We did have a group number five. Those were teams that were undefeated, but probably don't have the horses. There is no more group number five. Group number five is dead. RIP group five. Because there are no longer undefeated teams that don't have the horses. Every single undefeated team that I've listed up to this point, I think is very real. There are no fluky undefeateds. Of course, we've removed Louisville. Uh, We've moved a couple other teams the last couple weeks. We have just now removed USC, who was in this group last week. So, Group five is no more. Let's get to the one-loss teams that I think still have the horses to run the table. I've mentioned Oregon. I think they're legit. Probably the best one-loss team in the country. Texas, even though they're off a bye week, I think they can clean some things up and get a lot better down the stretch. They, of course, are in this group as well. Alabama continues to be in this group. They get better and better and better each and every week. I think last week's performance was a little bit of a sleepwalk affair, especially in the second half against Arkansas, but Alabama. If they can right the ship and get a big win against Tennessee this week, that'll give them the bye week to kind of regroup, refresh, and then set their sights on LSU the week after the bye week. Oregon State continues to be in this group. I still think Oregon State's a really difficult matchup for pretty much every single team in the Pac-12. Utah's in this group. Still questions about whether or not their quarterback's going to be back this year. They're now floating the idea that maybe Cam Rising isn't going to play this year. We'll find out. doesn't matter. They continue to dominate opponents. They did so against Cal This past weekend. I'm keeping USC in this group for now. I debated possibly moving USC out, but I think if USC can somehow right the ship in the Pac 12, where I think they match up a little bit better against most of the teams they'll face then maybe I'll feel a little differently about them, but let's get let's be real. It's a put up or shut up game this weekend. I'll get to that in just a second. And then Tennessee, I added them this week. I think Tennessee is good enough on defense to play with anybody. They run the ball and they're good on defense. That's a pretty good recipe. And if they can run the ball against the number one ranked defense in the SEC against the run, then I think they'll be able to do that against most of the competition that they'll face on the schedule this year. So I added Tennessee to the one-loss teams that might be able to make a run this week. But the good news is, for those of you that don't like how many teams are in the one-loss category, there are two playoff games amongst this group this week. Tennessee at Alabama, that's a playoff game. The loser is out, the winner is very much alive. USC and Utah. Of course, Utah travels to the Coliseum, that's also a playoff game. If Utah can get the win on the road, SC is out. If SC holds serve, they're very much alive, and Utah is out. So there are some playoff games that are on the schedule this weekend, and then some notable omitted one-loss teams at the moment. I don't think these teams can run the table. I'm not a believer right now. I reserve the right to change my mind. But these are some notables. If you're thinking, man, I didn't hear my team, and then we have one loss. Well, there's a reason why. I don't think Ole Miss can run the table. Georgia's still on the schedule. Have a difficult road trip to Auburn this week. I'm not sure Ole Miss can get it done. Iowa, they just can't score. They might be 11-1 in season's end, but I'm not a believer in them. There's, I think the about a 1% chance of them beating whoever wins the, the Big Ten East. I'm not going to expect that to happen. I think Duke could lose this week. Obviously, at Florida State, they're a heavy underdog. If they win that game, then, man, they will very much join the one-loss ranks as one of the top teams, and then Missouri as well. Missouri, that schedule strengthens a bit down the stretch. They have one loss. They've done a great job up to this point. I'll talk about them again here in a minute, but I just can't quite include them in the group of aforementioned teams. I have given you a few teams that are giant killers. And by the way, last week, two of our three giant killers that we gave you last week actually won the game outright. Notre Dame beat USC. Arizona beat Washington State, thus eliminating Washington State. And frankly, knocking USC from the ranks of the unbeaten. I do think this week is a little bit trickier. UCF, they're on the road at Oklahoma. They're a giant killer for sure, but I'm not sure UCF, man. They've been really bad on defense the last couple weeks. Washington State is on the road at Oregon. Can they catch Oregon? A little bit of a sleepwalking affair, but Washington State has not looked good offensively the last two weeks against UCLA and against Arizona. They got a lot of things to sort out if they're going to pull off the upset in Autzen Stadium. And then finally, Auburn. Auburn hosts Ole Miss this week. I would imagine this is a big one for Auburn. It's a big one. okay. Hugh Freeze has probably had this game circled. Knowing how close things might have have been between Lane Kiffin and Auburn, I would think that Hugh Freeze has had this one circled. They're a slight home dog against Ole Miss, less than a touchdown. So I would not be at all surprised if Auburn holds serve and gives Ole Miss their second loss of the season this weekend. It's mid-season, and it's time to kind of look back and hand out some superlative awards. We do this not that often here on the show, but we do feel like it's time and appropriate at the moment to give out maybe some of the best surprises of the year. Some biggest question marks, some teams with an awful lot to prove, and tell you who I think right now are the four best teams in college football. All right, so let's get to it. Let's start with the biggest surprises. Oklahoma has to be one of the biggest surprises so far. We're talking about a team that went 6-7 and last year, started off the season ranked 20th, so people felt like improvement was likely, but here they are now sitting top six with a really good chance to run the table and probably make the college football playoff. And the win over Texas is pretty remarkable when you take into account, man. Teetered back and forth, and obviously that game-winning drive was nothing short of remarkable right now you look at the non-conference schedule there's not a lot to write home about Arkansas State SMU Tulsa but the win over Iowa State is actually looking pretty good given the fact that the Cyclones have won two in a row and now are four and three so you have to give also a lot of credit to the Oklahoma defense this was a group that was much maligned throughout 2022 in first season under Brent Venables they struggled but right now They're surrendering about five yards of play. That's their best average since 2015. So you knew that Brent Venables would get that side right at some point, but I'm not sure any of us anticipated this type of growth on that side of the ball this quickly. They have to have been probably one of the biggest surprises of the season up to this point. We liked them. We didn't love them. And right now, with what we've seen through the first half of the season, I'm loving what I've seen from the Sooners. The ACC as a whole, is probably a significant surprise. When you have four teams that are currently ranked, two that are ranked in the top 10, and neither of those two are Clemson, clearly it's doing something right. You got Louisville, who got a big win against Notre Dame. Duke's been a feel-good story all season long. Florida State's obviously playing at a top-tier championship caliber. And then you have the possibility of two undefeateds that could run the table, to an ACC championship game there in Charlotte, North Carolina. But I'm not surprised by Florida State. That's not surprising. So what's one of the best surprises right now in college football? It'd be North Carolina. They've played five of their six games against Power 5 conference opponents. Many of them aren't great. But the win against Miami stands out to me as one that is probably going to stand the test of time. Now, Miami's schedule gets a lot tougher down the stretch. But at 8-4, and that's progress for... Mario Cristobal, and then you look at just how that game was, it was a pretty convincing victory until Miami made it interesting down the stretch. Now, Miami also had moments in the first half where they could have run it in, they fumbled their own end zone, but North Carolina has been so improved defensively, and I think their offense is just starting to scratch the surface of what they're ultimately going to be. You bring back Tez Walker, Drake May all of a sudden has gotten really hot the last three weeks touchdown numbers were down drastically earlier in the year. Well, over the last three weeks, he's got eight touchdown passes against no interceptions. You bring back what might be one of the most dynamic weapons in the ACC in Tez Walker, and they start cooking with gas. You already got Nate McCollum. You already got really capable tight ends in Kamari Morales, and you have Bryson Nesbitt, who I think is a matchup nightmare, plus J.J. Jones on the outside. Man, this is a deep receiver core and a capable rushing attack with a defense that can get after you, if the other team is playing from behind. North Carolina has been a huge surprise. I didn't have them in the top 25 in the preseason, but now they're firmly entrenched in the top 10. I already mentioned Duke briefly. Duke's been really exciting. I got to give them a ton of credit too, because I looked at the Duke Blue Devils last season. And while I was so impressed with what Mike Elko had done, I also acknowledged pretty quickly that they did so last year against a really underwhelming conference schedule. They didn't get any of the big dogs. They didn't beat any teams that were really, really high end. They beat the teams that were average. And as a result, their record was pretty dang impressive. Well, this year, it's been no joke. Even in their loss against the the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, they had that ball on their rack. And if not for an injury to Riley Leonard, who knows how that thing would have ultimately played out. But man, they were right there against a really good team that I respect drastically. So Duke has been a pleasant surprise this year as well. And then finally, my th- next biggest surprise would be Missouri. Missouri currently sits at 6-1. and one. They're ranked 20th in the AP poll. They did lose to LSU at home by double digits. But if you look at the game, it was really three until the pick six at the end of the game that put the game on ice. But they do have a nice win on the road at Kentucky. And I think Missouri has plenty of opportunities to control their own destiny. If they win out, That would mean obviously beating Georgia. They almost got Georgia last year. Granted, that was in Como. But in Athens would be a much more difficult hill to climb. But they're in a position to maybe find their way to the SEC championship game. Of course, you got to beat Georgia. I, I don't think it's likely. But still, man, to think that they would have a win against Kansas State, to think they'd have a win as convincingly as they did against Kentucky, Missouri, as of right now, is probably at worst the second best team in the SEC East. Now, Tennessee might push back on that. Maybe Florida pushes back on that a little bit. But I right now, if I had to pick Florida, who travels to Missouri at what, November 18th or so, I like Missouri in that game. If I had to play Tennessee and Missouri, I think it'd be a toss-up. Both teams are pretty good, but I actually think Missouri's offense might be slightly more capable than Tennessee's, at least at the moment. So Missouri has been a great surprise this season. Moving on to some of the biggest question marks in college football. And these are some blue blood programs that we expected a lot from this year. And while some aren't totally out of the mix, there are issues with how they've been playing, at least at this point. Alabama will start with them. They're six and one, have a tough loss to Texas at home, where they did not play their best ball on either side of the football, a couple turnovers, a couple big plays given up defensively. But since that moment, they've really rounded into shape and have beaten an all- Miss team that is getting better and better with each passing week. However, the offense still is a little bit herky-jerky. It's very big play reliant, and it has been hard to kind of wrap your head around the inefficiencies of the offense. They've given up a ton of sacks. Currently, they're 130th in sacks given up. A handful of those will go to the offensive line, but the handful also needs to rest on the sh- quarterback's shoulders as well. Jalen Milrose held the ball a little too long, and as a result, they've gotten behind the sticks more than you would like. Currently 58th in college football, with just 30 points per game scored. They are, however, playing great on the defensive side, just 16 points per game given up. That's 12th in college football and they're 25th in points per game margin by winning games on average of about 14 points. That's not what we've kind of come to expect from the Crimson Tide, but what I would say is this team has grown by leaps and bounds. Obviously, the low point was against South Florida. They've gotten a lot better the last few weeks, but as the schedule strengthens moving forward, difficult game against Tennessee, difficult game against LSU, both of which are at home, and then a difficult game at the end of the year on the road at Auburn, there's still a lot of meat on the bone for the Crimson Tide. They also had to go to Lexington to play against a Kentucky team that maybe that'll be a tough spot for them as well. Either way, I think there's some question marks around Alabama, but I've said this for weeks, I still think Alabama is a team that could very easily run the table And find their way to the SEC championship in the one game season against Georgia. Who knows? Maybe they throw their best punch and knock them out like they did a couple years ago. The Clemson Tigers, it's rare when we've seen Clemson in this type of situation. Two losses before the start of October, and they also are struggling scoring points offensively. If you think about what LSU has been for a, or excuse me, what Clemson has been for a very, very long time, man. They were unbelievable from 2015 to 2020. That was the Deshaun Watson and the Trevor Lawrence era. They were 79 and seven in that run. Four of those losses came either in semifinal games or in national championship settings. They averaged 40 plus points throughout those six seasons. And then you remove yourself just a little bit from when those guys were under center for the Tigers. In 2021 and 2022, they were still pretty good 21 and six, and they averaged nearly 30 points per game. But this year, they're just four and two. Yeah, the numbers look okay. 32 points per game scored, but just 19 points per game against Power 5 competition, that's not good enough. They still have a very difficult stretch too down the stretch. At Miami, at NC State, I don't think NC State's very good offensively. I think both teams in that game, points might be at a premium. Notre Dame, obviously a very difficult opponent that handled... Clemson with ease last year in South Bend. They have Georgia Tech at their place, should get that one. North Carolina is one of the best teams in the country. And they're traveled to South Carolina where they should be a heavy favorite, but that is a tough place to play. So Clemson has come back to earth a little bit, and there are some question marks as to whether or not the offense is going to click into high gear. I don't know what's missing there, man. Garrett Riley thought that might have been one of the the hires of the offseason, but at the moment, man, they're just kind of stuck in the mud on that side of the ball. And then USC. They are six and one. There's a lot to feel good about with that. But the problem is, their most recent outing, it's a what have you done for me lately type of affair. Well, they didn't look good against Notre Dame. They also didn't look good against Arizona. That was in victory. They didn't look good against Arizona State. Now, I think they could certainly run the table. Sure, that's absolutely plausible. They have the best team, they're the best player in college football, but he's not surrounded at the moment by the best team. They're just not playing very good. And to think what they have left on the docket, Utah, Washington, Oregon, UCLA. Do you guys like them? Any of those four mentioned games? I personally don't. I think it's going to be a very difficult, difficult stretch for the Trojans. It's extremely tough. Now, if they can somehow run that gauntlet and find their way to the Pac-12 championship, it would be one of the most remarkable turnarounds in college football this year. It really would because I do not have hopes at the moment in USC being able to find themselves on either side of the football, take a little bit of the pressure off of Caleb Williams and not get into shootouts, which is probably where they're going to live when they play against some of the aforementioned teams. Here are the four best teams I've seen so far this year. Washington. I'm going to start with them because I'm a prisoner of the moment. They just won arguably the game of the year. Okay, at least the game of the year in the Pac-12 up to this point. Beat Oregon, played a game that had six lead changes. It was back and forth. And then I actually go back and watch the game more closely. Y'all, Washington had like their B-plus game. That wasn't their A game at all. It certainly wasn't their A game offensively. They had a goal line stand in which they took the ball out of Michael Penix's hands, three straight plays. They had multiple drives in the second half where there were guys open underneath and Michael Penix pressed a little bit, could have just taken a shot underneath, extend the drive, get his offense into a bit of a rhythm. No one said he tried to make the big play, airmailed it, incomplete, three and out, what have you. Washington played their best game and still found a way to win. Now, the non-conference schedule isn't holding up great at the moment. Boise State's not very good. Michigan State's not very good. Both teams have a losing record. But the win against Arizona on the road is looking better and better as the season goes along. I mean, Arizona just routed Washington State last week 44-6 to in a game that was not competitive whatsoever. Michigan is also one of the top four teams for me. They've been absolutely dominant against absolutely nobody. So, I mean, fair enough. If you want to give them credit for beating 5-1 and one UNLV, I'm good with that. Because, hey, that that is a team that's probably, as they fast forward, probably going to have a winning record. Barry Odom and company is doing a really nice job with the Rebels. They're doing a really good job. But still, we're looking at a team that's won every game by 24 points. They've yet to allow more than 10 points in the game. And as a result of what they've done the last three weeks, the offense is starting to get going a little bit, averaging nearly 50 points in the last three games. So very optimistic about what I've seen for Michigan, even though the resume doesn't reflect elite play at the moment. They can't control who's on the schedule. They can only control the standard to which they play, and they are playing to that standard on a week-to-week basis. Georgia is still a top-four team with me right now. Granted, big victory over Kentucky, a game that looked great at the time. They were 5-0. Now they're 5-2 and and just got beat convincingly by Missouri at home. So there's no one else on the schedule that has a winning record. Now they need the open date this week. Brock Bowers has gone down. That's not going to be an easy one to get over because of just how versatile Brock Bowers is. But I do believe that that defense, hopefully after the bye week, will be playing better football. They do have a stronger schedule down the stretch. Okay. Missouri, six and one. Ole Miss, five and one. Tennessee, five and one. Now when they get to the games that are actually going to be played, will Missouri still be a one loss team when they play against Georgia? I don't know. Will Mississippi, Ole Miss? I don't know. Well, Tennessee, maybe those are real questions. But if those teams can continue to hold serve, that would really go a long way towards helping Georgia's schedule when we evaluate them from top to bottom at season's end. And then the final team in my top four at the moment, that'd be the Florida State Seminoles. Now their schedule actually pretty good. You beat LSU, you beat Clemson. Maybe they're not the teams that we thought they were in the preseason but to do so both away from home, granted LSU was at the neutral site, but you go to Clemson and get the win, that's nothing to shake your head at. Florida State also looked probably the best they've looked all year against Syracuse last week. Their defense has been very up and down. It has not been great by any stretch of the imagination. They've had moments, they've had solid play at times, but they have seldom put 60 minutes together. They finally did so this past weekend, and it's appearing more and more like Keon Coleman's going to be a complete takeover the game guy every single week, whether that's as a receiver or in the punt return game. Keon Coleman's doing things that nobody else in college football is doing at the moment. So Florida State would be firmly entrenched in my top four right now. Finally, teams with the most to prove. Teams with the most to prove. I'm starting with Penn State. Now, you're going to sit there and say, well, hang on a second. What? what do you, how can you possibly... Penn State's been rolling everybody. They're 6-0 against the spread or whatever it is. Well, yeah, I, I get all that. They have a win against Delaware. They have a win against UMass. Great. I mean, UMass is 1-7. But the schedule is going to get a little better. The win against Iowa looks better and better and better as the week goes on. and That was not a convincing victory. That was a complete beatdown. Iowa is still in a pretty good spot, though, to maybe even represent the West in the Big Ten Championship. The win against West Virginia, pretty good win prior to last week's Hail Mary loss to Houston. Here's the problem. We have seen James Franklin's teams play really well up to this point of the season. In his tenure at Penn State, he's won 84 games. But just one of those 84 came against Ohio State. Penn State's loss of the Buckeyes eight times, including six in a row. And the one game that they won against the Buckeyes was the result of kind of a fluky kick return block field goal to the house. Now, can they do it again? Absolutely. It can definitely happen. And they've had plenty of opportunities. 2017, they had a chance to potentially win that game, if not for JT Barrett's heroics down the stretch. The good news is it feels like Penn State's defense is as good as it's been in James Franklin's tenure. They lead the nation in fewest yards allowed per game at 193 yards a game given up, fewest yards per play given up. That's 3.42. They also lead the FBS in pass efficiency defense and surrender just one passing touchdown. That obviously will be put to the test this weekend, but if there's ever been a Penn State team that could break through, it feels like this is the one But we got to see it to believe it. So they have a lot to prove this weekend when facing off with the Ohio State Buckeyes. And then finally, this is teams with the most to prove. How about the new Big 12? How about the new Big 12? Now, they lost a bunch of non-conference games. Not ideal. Baylor's been disappointing. Texas Tech's been disappointing. TCU's been up and down. K-State's been up and down. Texas and Oklahoma in the league... Are a combined five and oh against power five teams. Well, technically six and one, but that includes a loss by Texas to OU. So they're five and oh against everybody else, not including each other. They are a combined 11 to one. The rest of the league right now is 42 and 34 without Texas and Oklahoma. The league is just 23 and 38 against power five competition and they're just eight and six against the group of five. So the new look big 12 is not in a good spot right now. And there's a lot of teams that have to prove an awful lot down the stretch because right now they are being buoyed up by two teams that are leaving the league starting in 2024. Time to move forward into our midweek mailbag. And we so appreciate all of you that have submitted questions via social media at always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. Continue to submit these. Take a look on Mondays. We usually tweet out the mailbag asking for the questions. So give us a follow, submit your questions, and we'll get to them on the Wednesday edition of Always College Football each and every week. Let's get things started with Jared Owens. Does UNC have a legit college football playoff chance? The answer is yes. Now, the schedule is difficult. There are plenty of games that are losable, and we have seen North Carolina in the past not play great down the stretch. We've seen North Carolina be dynamos offensively, maybe... Occasional liability on the defensive side, and then they lose to Georgia Tech. So, yes, I think North Carolina's ceiling is up there alongside some of the best teams in college football, but their floor, at least if history repeats itself, is that they can also lose to anybody on their schedule. So, I just want to see consistency from the Tar Heels. I believe they'll have that. They came up short last year, it was a great learning experience for them. So, I'd anticipate their best football being in front of them. Let's go to Shane Cowden. Lighthearted mailbag for this week. I'm really missing the NCAA football video game this year. I would be that guy running the triple option with Tennessee. Ball control and defense. Appreciate the message, Shane. I think the NCAA football game is going to be awesome. I played it when I was a kid. I'll probably play it as an adult. I look forward to that. But what I'm wondering is why are you worried about running the triple option with Tennessee? Ball control and defense. Just run your offense right now. You guys are the number one ranked rushing defense in the SEC, and you have a defensive line that has been outrageously disruptive, and you can put a lot of pressure on the opposing quarterback. So while it's not the traditional triple option that Josh Heupel is running there in Knoxville, Tennessee, if you just run your offense, man. You are ball control, taking the air out of the football, shrinking the game, and winning ugly. I think it's a good recipe, personally. I hope it continues as they move forward. In the season, let's go next to John Bradley. Utah's Cam Rising is a senior. What's the most he could play this season and still have eligibility left for next season? If he doesn't play at all in 2023, will he be eligible to play in 2024? The answer is yes. He would get a medical red shirt if he doesn't play this year and would be eligible in 24. But I have seen a million examples. Cam McCormick at Miami is a good one to look at. He's actually now applied to play his ninth year of college football. He's had a bunch of injuries, he's had transfers, COVID. COVID's just thrown eligibility for a loop. So I would imagine if you apply for an extra year of eligibility, you can probably get it nowadays. It's difficult for me to wrap my head around, but I know for certain that if Cam Rising doesn't play, then he would be eligible to play in 24 for sure. That's because he would apply for a medical hardship, he'd get it, and he'd be ready to roll next year. But if he does play, if he played four games or less, would he still be eligible? I think probably, because there are examples in the past in which guys have played three or four games, got hurt, lost the rest of the year, applied for the medical exemption, and they got it. So it just is a situation by situation uh, event to look at. And I would assume that he'll probably be good to go, depending on how much time he misses down the stretch. Let's go to Ryan Willis. Can Mizzou win the SEC East? Kind of answered this one already a little earlier in the show. They gave Georgia all they wanted last year. I think their quarterback needs to play a little bit like he did against LSU and a little less like he did against Kentucky, but they have the weapons on the perimeter and I think the ability on defense to disrupt enough what the opposing offense is doing to make life very difficult. I've been thoroughly impressed with how they've played this season and think that they play their very, very best game they can probably play with just about anybody. But if they play anything less than that, they don't have a chance. If Georgia plays their best game, Mizzou plays their best game, Georgia will win the game. if Mizzou plays their best game and Georgia plays their BB plus game, then hey, that gap becomes a little bit smaller. And maybe you could win the turnover battle, steal some possessions on special teams, block a kick, what have you. Then it becomes a little bit of a toss up for sure. And let's finally go to Zach. What do you want to see the most from Florida State against a very good Duke opponent? This is going to sound like coach speak, but with Florida State, all I want is consistency. And you guys that have watched the Seminoles, I've been watching them forever. I've watched this team play up to the level of competition, then down to the level of competition. I've seen one quarter of elite high-level football. I've seen pathetic football at times. Look at the Boston College game. It's almost like first half was bad. End of the second quarter was not so bad. Third quarter was great. Fourth quarter was bad. It's like up and down. With Florida State. But the good news is what we saw last week, if they can repeat that performance down the stretch against every single opponent, they should be in really good shape. Now against Duke, they're going to be really sound. Duke's not going to give up big plays. Duke's going to pressure Jordan Travis, so he should be really smart with his outlets. And they're also going to have to do a really good job of breaking tackles because Duke doesn't allow very much of that. Every yard you gain against Duke is earned. They don't give freebies. They don't give cheap ones. So you're going to have to be really smart and tactical with how you attack Mike Elko's defense. I think it's going to be tough to run the ball too because they're pretty stout in the middle. If they're going to run, it might have to be on the perimeter, but we'll break that game down when we get into our Thursday show. What I love, what I hate, we do it every week. Just a few things that are popping out to us this year. What I love, playoff games that exist in the regular season. Will we have playoff games when we get to a 12-team format, 16-team format, whatever we get to down the road? Sure, but it won't feel quite as impactful. This week, I think there are two in which the loser is out, the winner stays alive. Tennessee at Alabama, Utah at USC. If you want to take it a step further, you could say in a roundabout way, Penn State and Ohio State might actually be for a playoff spot as well. Because in the event in which Penn State loses to Ohio State, let's just say Ohio State protects the home field, Penn State loses, and then Penn State beats Michigan, the Michigan beats Ohio State. How this game looks, where it looks, the fact that it's the first of the three that will be played down the stretch, there might be enough time for Penn State to overcome. But still, it's something to keep in mind. So two legit playoff games and one with massive playoff implications between Ohio State and Penn State. I also love the fact that an academy... Right now, the Air Force Academy has the inside track at a New Year's Six bowl game. We've never seen an academy play in the New Year's Six. I, like I feel like most of y'all, are probably pretty dang supportive of the academies playing high-level football. I love the Army-Navy game, but I feel like the group that's always forgotten about is Air Force. Well, every year, they seem to win the Commander-in-Chief Trophy, or at least they have in recent years. They're in great position to do so again this year. And they also, with some of the wins they've picked up, sitting there at undefeated, ranked number 22 in the AP poll, they're in a great position to maybe punch their ticket to some of the biggest bowl games. And that would be an awesome, awesome thing for college football. Here's what I hate. I hate hangover games. Now, last week, it was Louisville. Now, Louisville going to pit. And we see these every week, by the way, this is not picking on Louisville. We see them all the time. We see hangovers from teams that actually won the game or lost the game the week before. Like if, for instance, what if Oregon has a letdown game this week against Washington State because they let the air out of their balloon? Uh, Alabama had a hangover game last couple weeks ago against South Florida when they didn't play well on the road at the Bulls. Like we've seen hangover games all the time, sometimes in victory, sometimes in defeat. Well, it bit Louisville last week, who was riding an undefeated season, and then they lost to Pitt, who at the time had one win, and that one win was against Wofford. So difficult to wrap your head around, but that's the beauty of college football. I also hate very much teams that seem to be stuck in neutral at the moment. It doesn't feel like they can kind of generate the traction that they need or the momentum that they need to get going in a positive way. Let's start with Boston College. Their record from... Gosh, the time Jeff Halfley took over is 18-23. and 23. Now, they almost beat Florida State. That would have obviously changed the perception of where the program was, where the program might be going. Now, they're in a spot where they are probably going to be lucky to win half the games remaining on their schedule. Let's get next to Syracuse. This is year eight under Dino Babers. feels like rinse and repeat from where they were last year. Last year, they were 6-0 and and finished 7-6. and this year, they started 4 0, and they've lost three straight. They are 4 and 3. If you look at how things are looking down the stretch for the orange, it's not looking like they're going to finish on a real high note. Now, they can win a lot of the games down the stretch. There's definitely a possibility of that, but I don't think it's real likely. They got beat down badly, and we're not competitive against stronger competition in Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina. They got outscored 112 to 24. So, wasn't pretty for syracuse minnesota would also fall into this category as well they're currently three and three one and two in the conference and their offense is brutal now here's the good news you get to play against another offense that is also brutal when you play against iowa this game will be a difficult watch (laughs) unless you're a real purist but at the same time minnesota they always seem like a couple years ago they were close man they were close 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 but when the Big 10 abandons divisions. Think about how much more difficult Minnesota's road will get to a conference championship. If they can't get to the West or can't get to the big 10 conference champs championship right now by winning the West. Imagine what it's going to be like when you have to topple Ohio state, Penn state, and the other great teams in the conference to get into the one of the top two spots. It's probably not going to happen. So this program feels like it's at the peak and that peak isn't very good, at least at the moment. And then finally it'd be Texas A&M. Now, I acknowledge that Jimbo Fisher went 9-1 in 2020. And right now, things aren't looking real good for the Aggies. They're 4-3, no wins over teams with winning records. Everyone's pointing to Jimbo Fisher's overall record and comparing it historically to what a and done comparing it historically to what Kevin Sumlin's done. But Kevin Sumlin has a comparable record to Jimbo Fisher, and that was with a Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback. It's a scary thought not for the entire extent of his tenure, but he had Kyler Murray on that roster too. So really had two Heisman Trophy quarterbacks on his roster, couldn't retain one, had another one that lost some games that were some ways inexcusable. But Jimbo Fisher, while Texas A&M's career historical winning percentage is just over 60%, and Jimbo Fisher's sitting at about 64%, He's a little better than the historical average for AM. doesn't feel like this team can get over the hump right now. They just continue to take two steps forward, one step back, and that is not good as the SEC strengthens in the years to come. That'll do it for us here at Always Call it Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to wherever you get the show, whether it's on the podcast platforms, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, Please give us a rating. Please subscribe to the podcast. Our numbers are going up drastically thanks to you guys, and we so appreciate your contributions to the show. If you want to leave a review, we read all those, and we really appreciate you guys and the kind words that you've given us the last couple weeks. If you're on the ESPN YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up. Right before you close the window, hit that thumbs up and subscribe to the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. That'd be awesome as well. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day, and remember, it's Always College Football.